Iron Man's war against everyone in armor swings into high gear as he takes on S.H.I.E.L.D.'s armored mandroids, with an appearance by Nick Fury, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Spivey. And today we're going to talk about The Last Mandroid, issue 227 of Iron Man, here on Speechless. Welcome to the third episode of Armor Wars, where we're going through uh, an 80s run of Iron Man and talking about it issue by issue. And before I get into it, I just want to say um, uh, the software we use, Zencaster, um, has the ability to play music uh, as a recording. So I can actually queue up the music intro and outro beforehand. And it, it didn't work. You should listen to the first few episodes of it. The music gets kind of wonky and weird. And so I, I had to actually manually add the music back in and they've changed it so I can do it now again. It feels so nice to hear the music while we're recording. It's weird how much I've missed that, but I'm glad it actually works now. I liked the silence, the the absolute void of saying, <laughs> should I speak now? Maybe I'll wait a couple more beats and see if someone else speaks before I jump in. I mean, I know awkward. that you deeply create the aesthetic of being mildly awkward in conversation, but <laughs> I like knowing my cues. Well, you know, it's a lifelong habit. Why stop now? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, uh, so uh, uh, for me rereading this, this is one of those issues um, uh, where definitely um, I have vivid memories of the pages. Some of these, I'm like, oh, I kind of remember the bits of like this opening splash. Like I remember this and there's a lot of interesting kind of Easter eggs in the first couple of pages. But uh, I don't know if this is, this is one of the ones you have the physical copies of too. Uh, this is actually one I was missing because I went through my, I was going through my collection and oh, I have okay. the ones before it and the ones after it. It's like, what, where is it? Now the collector in me wants to go and track it down. Although I would never read it. It would just literally sit in that box. So, I'm torn. I, I'm with you. It's, it's funny. Like there are a, a bunch of um, comics that I own, but then I also own digital versions, so I don't have to take out the box to read them. <laughs> it's, I like knowing I have them. It's very nice. Uh, but anyway, so uh, we do start with uh, Iron Man grabbing the Beetle, which is another armored character. Uh, I don't think we've seen him yet. Uh, but the beetle is at this stage. Uh, a couple people have worn the armor. I think we're on a second or third beetle. Uh, but he's basically akin to most of the other minor armor characters we've seen so far. He's basically a thief. Uh, he, he's not uh, a super mega maniacal a character. He's solidly he, a, a Spider-Man or Daredevil villain, primarily Spider-Man if memory serves. He was like part of the Sinister Six or Seven. I I, th I think so. Yeah. Um. He gets more prevalent uh, because he is uh, minor spoiler for a comic that's thirty years old. Um. One of the Thunderbolts. One of the founding members of the Thunderbolts. Uh. When he masks Raid as Mach One, I want to say. <laughs> um. But uh, we're still kind of before that stage. Um. And they are at an outdoor auction. Uh, and it's it's a celebrity auction. And so uh, there are characters in, in dresses and tuxedos who are witnessing Iron Man grabbing the beetle. And this is such a time capsule into this comic because they can't reference anyone by name. So it's all by either references or kind of 
parody of the characters. Uh, so like, uh, for example, um, uh, there's a character says, well, hello. And it's, it's very clearly meant to be Lionel Richie. Um, cause the reference to, you know, his song, hello, is he's looking for. Um, and the person next to him is a uh, man with a suit with his arms ripped oh. out. Side tangent, as I will probably never get to say this again. Yeah. But did you know that I am like, I want to say three degrees of separation away from Lionel Richie because really? his mother who he bought the house for lives across, lived across from my great aunt. Wow. In Tuskegee, Alabama. <laughs> That's yeah, wild. Three. That's I, I never got to see him, but that would have been just awesome to say. I didn't make, I made that joke. <laughs> All right. I'll leave now. I'm out. Thank you. Ah, that's amazing. Um, and next to him is, um, uh, uh someone, a man uh, with a beard and brown hair with his arms ripped off his, uh, suit, um, saying body slam, use a body slam. Uh, so I dug into my knowledge of eighties wrestling and could be, Hulk Hogan, although Hulk Hogan at the time did not have a full beard and his hair was blonde, not brown. Um, so the most likely candidate is actually Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Uh, so there's your obligatory wrestling reference for, for today. And Matthew Dawkins uh, thanks you. Yes, absolutely. Um, on the next page, um, we have uh, a woman in a green dress who I don't recognize, but next to him, next to her, uh, is a man smoking a cigarette that is probably supposed to be Don Johnson because he mentions something not happening in Miami, Miami Vice reference. Uh, the next panel is um, someone talking about probably going back to the future, which which um, oh. definitely looks like uh, uh, the actor played Marty McFly. My uh, and, and then Michael J. Fox, thank you. Uh, and then a man with wavy black hair uh, who talks about making the cover of people who I do not recognize. Um, it might be uh, the guy who played Remington Steele, but I don't know for sure. I don't know if that's Pierce Brosnan. There's something looks looks too bulky to be Pierce Brosnan. Part of me thinks it's something that deals with like the flashy in italics, but I got nothing. Yeah, um, because the Flash TV show would come on for another five years, so it's not that. And I'm only uh, fairly certain about the Pierce Brosnan because I was showing, started showing Jill Remington Steele um, during COVID. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, but anyway, so um, Iron Man mentions that uh, he was waiting until uh, uh, Beetle striked so he could attack away from the, the crowd. Um, and he mentions threatening to ripped the auctioneer's head off, didn't hand over Picasso. This is all stuff that happened off panel. So we're, it's Iron Man filling us in on what we didn't see. Uh, and so uh, Beetle tries, admits he's out of Iron Man's league. And so tries to set up a, uh, goes up near, nearby kind of hill, small mountain, whatever, uh, and shoots a bunch of boulders off to roll towards the crowd um, to start an avalanche. Cause he's like, I don't care what happens to the crowd, but Iron Man does. Uh, Iron Man uses his pulse bolts uh, and mentions he hasn't used them in a while, which is true. I, I, I only vaguely remember the pulse bolts. I think it's primarily from this issue that I remember them actually. Uh, but they're kind of electronic plasma charges. Uh, and so he actually carves a trench for the boulders to fall in. 
so that he can keep flying past and catch up with the beetle, throws him to the ground from midair, slaps him with the negator pack, and causes him to stop. Uh, then um, a couple of guards uh, hold Iron Man at gunpoint, and he points out <laughs> that he's like, you're here to guard the guests, but realize how hard my armor is and there might be ricochets, which is a real dick thing to say, frankly. It's like, you which, could shoot me. I, I, I laugh so much because I, it always goes back to Voltron and the space mall. As soon as I saw this, my brain just clicked into the big mall cops trying to stop Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it absolutely is. It's like, you're outclassed. And it's... One thing that this sequence does, which is interesting, is it, it's kind of continuing to hype how powerful Iron Man is, which is something that, again, in the late 80s, was not a given. Iron Man was a minor character. I mean, he had to be honest, been relegated to a secondary spinoff Avengers book. Um, and a chunk of those Avengers characters were characters that nobody else really had plans for. Uh, so um, Iron Man was not quite seen as top tier Marvel character at this stage. Um, and so a lot of the past few issues have been, let's really sell how powerful Iron Man is. Uh, and so this is a great kind of moment of like, uh, you know, you don't want to do that both from the beetle and from the security guards. Uh, so during the fight, it turns out that um, uh, a, a vase was uh, broken, although it is spelled V-A-H-Z, which is great because then you pronounce it vase. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice little touch. Um, but it was donated by Tony Stark, uh, and apparently it was priceless. It was also ugly, and so Tony's like, oh, whatever, I'll send him a check. Uh, so he um, flies through a secret uh, underwater drainage tunnel to get back to uh, his house slash lab. Uh, and he recaps kind of situation from last issue with, with Rhodey that he had to fire his uh, persona character and how they're doing this because of Justin Hammer and yada, 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 kind of um, went through all that. Uh, then Hawkeye calls and they kind of have the same conversation they had last issue again, uh, where it's like, uh, you know, we're sitting around the West, Avenger, West Coast Avengers mansion uh, trying to figure out why you've been playing Vigilante. And then it turns out that you fired Iron Man, which is fine for the public, but we know you are Iron Man. So how does that work? And Tony is like, uh, whatever, don't worry about it. Just trust me. Uh, you know, I'm taking out bad guys. It's all that matters. And uh, uh, Mockingbird is like, okay, well, if you can't tell us anything we do to help. And Tony's like, no, I have to, to play it alone. Uh, and so Hawkeye's like, okay, cool, great. Just hope you know what you're doing. Which, while this is still kind of the same conversation, at least it is ending them on a slightly friendlier note than last issue. Can we talk about all the issues, problems with this scene? Sure. I, I want to focus in on Tony Stark in his whitey tidies <laughs> talking to the Avengers who are in full costume. Like think, that is, that is the imagery that they put in front of us to watch to show how little respect he has for the rest of the team. Cause it's not like, I didn't take it as a friendly conversation. It's more of the fact that I can do whatever I want and I won't tell you anything. And there's nothing that you can do about it. It is very much a, 
one percenter approach to a problem and a solution. No, I agree with that. That was more the fact that uh, last time, um, basically, uh, Hawkeye was kind of on the verge of being like, well, fuck you. Uh, and now it's, okay, sure, whatever, Tony, just just let us know. Uh, so, I mean, in, from that perspective, the Avengers have kind of become more sanguine about it. But you absolutely know, Tony, in both instances, has been just, no, this is what I'm doing, and you're going to trust me. Uh, in both times, it's like, I'm almost a little surprised he didn't play the, I'm a founding member of the Avengers card because he could have. Uh, That's what I was waiting to read. Hmm? I was waiting. I was waiting for that too, to pop up. It's like, I'm one of the founders that made this organization without me, son, daughter, you wouldn't even be here. Right. Right. I won't even joke about the fact that you have Hawkeye and the Avengers telling someone else or being a vigilante. Mm Mm-hmm. As all superheroes are vigilantes, unless they're given legal authority and power to do something, which then becomes a totally different conversation. I may be misremembering, but I do feel like this is the era where the Avengers actually was reporting to Garrick and therefore did have U.S. sanction, at least. I don't remember if the West Coast Avengers had the same deal. Yeah, they did, because they're going to bring in U.S. agent eventually, and that'll be an interesting squabble between U.S. agent and Hawkeye. Right, yes, that's right. Yes, they did bring in him in because that was a requirement for the to operate. Yes, okay, so, so I mean, while it is still ironic statement, especially from Hawkeye considering he was a bad guy initially, um, a little more justification for it. Which, I guess, another sidestep, I don't know if you remember this, but... It was, I'm not going to say refreshing, but it was interesting to see in the West Coast Avengers where Hawkeye takes a lot of quips and makes a lot of assertions on other people for someone. I know that you love Hawkeye, but (laughs) he's a dude with a bow hanging out with people with superpowers. Oh, I know. I remember when he tried with U.S. Agent, who is a total ass and should just be put down. Mm -hmm. But Hawkeye and U.S. Agent had a fight and U.S. Agent shows him what superpowers do to normal people. Mm-hmm. And that was like a, a rude awakening for a character in the comic. And I remember reading as a kid saying, crap. And it was a rude awakening for me as a small kid saying he was super quippy and he got his butt handed to him by someone that just does not care. Yeah, no. Um, one of the things I like about both uh, Hawkeye and to a degree uh, Green Arrow is that they recognize they can't possibly stand up to most of their colleagues. And so it's like, I have one of two options, which is I recognize that I can't stand up and just kind of get pushed to the margins, or I just act like I don't give a fuck and stand up to all of them. And and I, I kind of respect that just sheer bravado of like, yeah, sure. I have stick in a bow. I can take you. Uh, and it's, it's, so I like that about him, but you're absolutely right. I mean, there are certainly times where it's like, Clint, are you sure this is a good idea? And the answer is usually no, because it's Clint Barton. But then you're also right, because he is a person that beat the collector. So. Right. Right. Still kudos to Hawkeye. Yes. Um, so. Uh, go back to Stark Enterprises. Uh, and we're. Still uh, seeing more of a tension between his uh, PR person, Marcy, and Tony Stark. Uh, she makes a comment of, uh, of 
Ro- Ro- sorry, Rody makes a comment of, hey, what's going on? And she's like, why don't you ask Mr. Stark? Because he seems to tell you more than he tells us common folk these days. Um, and then uh, his secretary makes a comment of, the latest lawsuits are on your desk along with the current threats propaganda and an update on the popular anti-Iron Man slogans. Uh, so his attempts to fire Iron Man clearly did not do nearly as much help as Tony had hoped. Uh, and then he meant, she also mentions there are people waiting in his office and he's like, I don't have any appointments. And she's like, these people don't need appointments. And we find out it is uh, Nick Fury, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., head of S.H.I.E.L.D., and a couple of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Uh, do we need to explain who S.H.I.E.L.D. are? I feel like that's commonly known at this point. I think that we need to because they have the... Shield's definition changes like every decade and their mission statement changes a little bit. I think folks in the movie would probably know them more as sort of an international espionage organization compared to this one where they're more of law enforcement. That's, that's true. Yeah. Um, uh, specifically um, their acronym currently now stands for uh, Supreme headquarters, international espionage law enforcement division. So, so there is a little more emphasis on the law enforcement over the espionage portion of it. It's fair there. They're kind of the, Super cops, I read them. Um, uh, and so Nick Fury is definitely uh, top cop at this point. Uh, and so Tony, and so uh, Nick Fury is just immediately has no time for Tony's bullshit. Uh, his first line is, "You know, done golf Aria. must be nice, and I have to punch a time clock." It's like so he's already like coming out of the gate. Uh, and uh, basically, Tony points out that by attacking Stingray. Iron Man is now officially a crook. The greatest and so, superhero in the multiverse. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's like Dr. Doom, all those people. Nope, nope. Iron Man, top of the list, because he attacked Stingray, the well-beloved, much well-known superhero character. Thank you. Okay, I'm done. Uh, so he asks for Iron Man to be turned over. And uh, in... Uh, uh, Stark's thought balloon is like, he's not going to do this, so I have a court order. And uh, Stark instead hands over a personnel file. Here you go. And much like the reader, we're like, huh, what? Uh, uh, Nick Fury is also like, what are you talking about? Uh, And uh, Tony says that uh, I'll hand over the personnel files I have on the person I hired to be Iron Man named Randall Pierce. Uh, And the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are like, Something's wrong here. They're whispering among themselves like, this, this, this is not adding up. You hand it over too quickly. And then Tony's like, uh, I just missed this. He's, he's a liability. I just missed this man. He's made my company do bad. Um, only thing I ask is when you capture him, I want the armor back. I invented it. That's mine. And then uh, Nick Fury is like, ah, there's a condition. Now I believe him. I'm going to pause here and state that Nick Fury is the worst spy in the world. For a lot of reasons. But this is definitely one of them. It's like, oh, the corporate guy wants his stuff back. Now I believe that he's handing his guy over. But nope. this iteration of Nick, though, he doesn't feel like a spy. This feels more like the problem that was in World War II that is now a cop. Compared to, I want to say, the 60s and 70s run where he felt more like a spy. And he was doing spy stuff. True, but even then... Um, Nick Fury's version of going in disguise would be like wearing a hat. And it's like, oh, look, the guy with salt and pepper hair and the eye patch, but he's wearing a hat, so it can't be Nick Fury. <laughs> Why do you need a disguise when you have LMDs? Who cares if one of them gets shot in your place? It's not you. It's 
for people that don't know what an LMD is, life model decoy. Nick Fury uses life model decoys for everything. He uses so many that one of them eventually becomes sentient and think that it's Nick Fury and tries to kill it. Yes. And, and and to be fair, I, I'm making fun of, but actually the kind of late 60s, early 70s uh, run of, of S.H.I.E.L.D. when it was just Nick Fury was actually a genuinely fun comic um, and super deeply weird. Uh, he fights his brother who is uh, an avatar of the Zodiac and also coded as gay um, in a time when that wasn't really available. And also, uh, yeah, uh, adapt took one of Nick's life model decoys and turned it into his ally and talked to him and told him what a great brother he was. It was, it was weird. Um, we're, we're still going to have to do like a run on, I think the West coast Avengers are the old, old Nick Fury. Cause uh, I, I want to talk about the Zodiacs. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're, Any thoughts? Whew, they're a lot. Um, but anyway, so uh, Tony reveals that he has a homing circuit. Uh, if we can give us a hundred miles, I could find him. And so uh, he's like, I think he's on the East coast. So it's a great, we'll meet in New York. Because uh, remember, Tony is based on the West Coast along with the Avengers. So his new company is set up in LA. Uh, so they leave and then uh, Rhodey is like, so who in the heck is Randall Pierce? Because <laughs> Tony's like, what is going on? Uh, and Tony reveals that kind of off panel um, when uh, Abe Zimmerman was doing some of the hacking, he also created false birth and tax records into key government computers just you know because uh, this is something that should have been done ages and ages ago I, I i love this mini retcon for this at least minor run it is a beautiful idea and someone as brilliant as tony should have realized this and have already had that instituted like that would have been someone planning like the comic from the start though and having like this be a long burn of a decades Right. No, I mean, I, 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 when I read this, uh, this was kind of my first real exposure to the Iron Man comics. And so I had assumed this was like a trapdoor he had planted like years and decades ago. Um, I thought this was like, oh, this is a cool plot point that maybe was referenced earlier and now it's paying off. No, it, it, it it's just something that, right, was quietly retcons of like, oh, this probably happened. But you, it is a brilliant idea. And a lot of this series, this run has been, has been an interesting almost deconstruction of how the Iron Man status quo doesn't really work and then quietly putting in infrastructure to make it work better. Do you know who could have done it from the jump though? Who? Claremont. Oh yeah, no. Absolutely. Claremont would be definitely the guy who's like, I'm going to put this thing in there and then maybe five years later I'll reference it. He, he was definitely the master of the long game. Uh, Iron Man went through way too many writers to effectively pull that off. That, it was a lot more catch up. I uh, wouldn't even talk about the Iron Man on roller skates. Iron Target Man on roller skates, rocket powered roller skates. I'll have you know. <laughs> Thank you for the upsell. <laughs> roller skates are amazing. No, um, the seventies were all over them. He also had a nose, but that's either there. Uh, so Tony explains that this is part of his plan. Uh, he he already plans to kind of use this cover to get inside uh, Shield because the Shield armored suits, the Mandroids, are also based on the same technology. And he has to make sure Hammer just gets his hands on it. Uh, and so Tony's basically like. Uh, and I quibble with this. Uh, he says, at this point, I'm only going against bad guys, villains who deserve what they got, but now I'm using my subject against my own allies. 
that's not true, Tony, because you did that last issue against an Avenger, which was pointed out mm-hmm. several times, was an Avenger. So it's not the first time. I, I think it's more that this is the first time he's, he's had to do this against someone he knows. Which, I would. I think it, I'd go one step further and say I think it's the first time he's had to do against someone he respects. That's also fair. Uh, but again, it was it's interesting. Like again, this is before a time where we were thinking about things like privilege. But you can kind of see the privilege there. It's like one, it's people who are ostensibly the same side as me, but I don't, I don't know or respect. I don't really worry about it as much. But this is someone I I am I do respect. So therefore, now it bothers me more. And to be fair, he did actually. It was actually bothered by the stingery thing. But the fact it comes up again and the way it's phrased, it was just it was just an odd phrasing. It made it seem like the stingray thing didn't really matter, even though I we, we saw in last issue that it did. So it was just an odd transition. Well, I think last issue was less, I think he was bothered because he knew it was going to cause more trouble for him than concerned about stingray. He's like, ah, you're not hurt. That's true. That's true. That is fair. You, you keep giving Tony the benefit of the doubt. I keep thinking of bad Tony. Honestly, it's fair. I mean, I, that's one of the reasons I like having this conversation because it's we both like this run, but also we're balancing this portrayal of Tony. Because again, I, I said this last uh, episode, but Tony's, even though he's our protagonist, he's not entirely coming off as a good guy here. Uh, and I do think this is going somewhere. I mean, it's, again, it's a chaptered thing. It's a very interesting story. I, mean, I feel like there's a plan here. Uh, but it's certainly we're in this stage of like, I'm starting to feel like it's, I'm a little uncomfortable where Tony is going with this. And Tony seems like he's also uncomfortable, but it's not, again, it's, it's, I rereading it now. I am less sympathetic to Tony than I was when I read it as a kid. Uh, But I do want to talk about um, what Rhodey is packing here. Cause we jumped to New York city. (laughs) They go to the shield headquarters and they scan him and the weapon scan detects a fight. Rhodey's carrying a firearm. A Beretta M92 with Packmeyer grips, a full magazine of hand-loaded tungsten hollow points. Who in the fuck is James Road going to murder? Because <laughs> I'm like, holy crap, man. And they're like, because you're a security clearance, you can keep hold of it. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, come on. Think about the world they're in. If if Rody's having to, to pull the gun on someone. Other than the the mind controlled bodybuilders in the spa that epi- that issue, it's it's likely to be an armored opponent, right? Fair, but tungsten hollow points. I mean, that, we're talking like shooting through walls and shit. <laughs> it's, that is not a subtle handgun. You are going to <laughs> turn someone into chunky salsa with that weapon. Uh, and again, I just again, she was like. Whatever we see, we see stuff like this all the time. I'm not even threatened by you. <laughs> you can keep it. I was like, "Wow, it's a nice little bit of world building." I actually liked. Um, and again, we see some kind of great Kirby-inspired tech of like these giant rooms with all sorts of metal circuitry and wires and bits on them, and gigantic, massive computer screens. I just, I love this this mid '80s run of just super gigantic tech. We haven't quite gotten out of the bigger is better tech moments. Um, and I, I just, I have the great nostalgia for the stuff. Uh, so Tony, you know, modifies equipment, pushes a button, um, and they find a, uh, signal in upstate New York 
Tony mentions that he had a house affair that he lost. He uh, lost his fortune, but he recently reacquired it. But no one lives there now. Um, it's reinforced, so he figures that uh, Randall Pierce is using it as a base. And so Tony's like, you should send all the mandroids there because that's going to be hard. And uh, Nick Fury's like, that's a good idea, Tony. Uh, and he's not the best spy at all. Uh, but then he says, I'll also throw in a hundred unarmed guards. And Tony's like, no, no, don't do that. Just because you might, you might injure them. You get killed. And Fury's like, yeah, whatever. My, my call. We're doing this. Let's go. Uh, so now Tony's bummed because he can't just fight armored people. Now there's a hundred unarmed people that he has to deal with. Uh, so um, it turns out that uh, he just had a home beacon implanted there, which again, it's the, I used to own this house. I didn't anymore. Now I own it again, but I totally haven't been there and I didn't plant anything there. What's for you to find? Come on, Nick. Uh, so um, Tony, you know, again, this is actually a weird trend in the comic that I never noticed before, but like Rhodes, like you should, relax before you have to do this tomorrow and Tony's relaxation is going out on a date with a different woman. In this case, uh, this is uh, Ling McPherson who is a private detective. I do not know who Ling McPherson is. I, my only knowledge of her is this comic, uh, but they imply that there are friends. Maybe there was something more at one point, but now they're pretty clearly kind of in the friend category. Uh, and this date only takes like half a page between it's like six panels total. Uh, and unlike the last one, they do not go back and, and check up. It's just more, you know, if you need a friend, let me know. He says, great, great thanks, gets a cab, goes back. Can home. we talk about, you know, I was going to do this. You know me. Mm -hmm. The part of this that did not age well. Which part? The fact that he used to own a floor in Trump Tower. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't forget. They walk by Trump Tower and he says, I used to own a whole floor of this place. They yeah. a bit of comic that did not age well. Related. Um, I was uh, rereading, I want to say it was Watchmen. I remember it was a DC comic where uh, they had the classic, the world has been devastated uh, kind of moment. You see different New York landmarks being swept away in this flood. And one of them is the Trump Tower. And I absolutely capture that panel and I, I say that panel now because I love that panel <laughs> it's like yes please do that uh, okay so um, they fly to uh, a more positive note sorry before we move on okay. it, it is good to see that they're giving Tony another layer of depth that all of his relationships just aren't him going and having physical intimacy with someone but actually going to someone who's a friend to relax and be with a person like that like that is a, a nice touch to add in compared to what we've seen in the other issues. No, that is fair. Um, it, 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 it's, it's a little weird that every time Tony goes to relax, it is always women, but I also do identify to a degree in the sense that um, a lot of my closer friends are women. Uh, um, just throughout my life, I generally make more female friends than male friends. Uh, so you're right. It is nice. For, it, it, it's very much framed as they have dinner. They have great conversation. They talk nostalgically. They walk around New York and she's like, uh, if you need anything, let me know. Just make a kiss on the cheek, which is very kind of chaste. Uh, uh, and then he leaves. I, I only counterbalance the, that part about it being uh, a female friend is that he constantly has like roads with him 
and they may have been trying to avoid some of that stupid ideas that were plagued like Batman and Robin to like resubmit for people that are are ignorant that Tony is definitely this. This is who Tony is compared to just letting it be a relationship and exist. I, I think that's fair. That's, that's an interesting point. Um, and we are kind of in a weird state in terms of, of comics because like uh, uh, I do think James Rhodes is an interesting character and I think he's generally represented well but certainly he is definitely in a he's, 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 Tony's position of power over him uh, and that does change the nature of the relationship they play it as they are peers but they're not and that's has come up a few times to the to the series credit um, there are times where Tony goes off the handle and does use his power over Brody and Brody calls him out on it, but still he recognizes that he could genuinely be fired. Um, his relationship with women are also tried to be presented as in he is peers with them, but he still has positions of power over a lot of them too, even by the nature of the fact that he's a rich white man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his friend, he doesn't really have any friends who are genuine peers except for his other superhero colleagues. And not and even, even then, many of them. Right, as we're seeing, as we just saw with the West Coast Avengers, he still kind of uh, can get away with just saying, I'm not going to tell you. And they're just like, okay, I guess it's fine. Even though the leader of the team, Hawkeye, is the one calling him out on it. Like, if you want to just talk about pure power levels, can you imagine Hercules saying, I ain't going to tell you nothing, and how that (laughs) would go over? Come on. And they'd be like, okay, cool. Um, Hey, Thor, could you come take care of this? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, but you're right. I, there, there's a, um, there's a lot of things that I, I am assuming good intent on the behalf of the writers and the artists, uh, but certainly parts of it, like you said, they have aged better than they could have, but still have not aged particularly well. Uh, okay, so they move on. Um, they get ready for the, to uh, check out the estates. Um, uh, the mandroid five agents get into the mandroid armor. They spread out to try to surround the the home. Uh, they set off some traps, which explode, send out some kind of the, the more of the disruptor packs. Two of them get knocked out. Uh, and so the other three turn their force fields on because they realize the force fields keep them from having the packs attached to them. And so they kind of blast the ground to get rid of these mines. And uh, Nick is like, okay, we got two casualties out here. In, in this case, Nick is meaning casualties as in two mandroid suits of armor are inoperative, but he doesn't necessarily know that in the heat of the moment. So it was an interesting choice, but again, for a military guy, you have to assume they're dead. So I, I, I actually kind of respect that. Um, it's just like, okay, give me some advice. I got two people down. And of course, Tony's in his thoughts going, crap, only two. I was hoping to get more. Uh, but he's like, you just send them in mass, try to overpower Iron Man. And Tony's like, that's a great idea. It's like, Nick, come on. You're smarter than this. You used to be the watcher, for God's sakes. That won't happen until later. Yeah. Uh, but so they, you know, so they, they form up. Um, Iron Man does shoot them, shoots one through the trees uh, <laughs> with a great line. Holy Frank. Holy geez, Frank's still going. <laughs> Just like, poor Frank. He's thrown through an entire forest. Uh, another one grabs his grabs Iron Man's leg as he flies by and then flies with him and gets thrown into a garage. Uh, it, it, 
I should probably say this. I actually genuinely love the Mandroids, the people filing the Mandroids, uh, because they're they're just trying their best, right? They're just guys trying to do their job. Uh, and for me, the best moment is um, the guy who gets thrown into the garage accidentally. He throws a truck, but as he's throwing it, he's like, well, that was embarrassing. <laughs> like they're, 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 they, they, they're trying to be the, the, the point on this big operation on Iron Man, and they're just getting schooled, and they're just like, oh, this sucks, man. I hate this. I um, like it because they're using tactics. They're trying to yeah. fight an obviously superior opponent, and they're trying to work together as much as they can. So like that is a, a very nice touch. Yeah, and, and related, like and Tony sees the car coming, um, and the second Mandroid uses a tractor beam to snag the car and sh- you know throw it at Iron Man from behind, which genuinely catches him off guard. And Tony's like, that's pretty good. So you're right. They're actually using tactics, and, and then they uh, surround him on two sides and hammer him with uh, lasers, uh, which Tony's armor can handle, but he realizes that he's going to take a chance. So he actually uh, siphons off the energy from one of these suits, so it powers down, slaps it with the, uh, the, the tag. And then the other one, again, the, the last Mandroid's like, I need backup, which is a smart thing to do in that moment. You have 100 people there with weapons, advanced weapons, people who aren't worried about tungsten hollow point armor, ammunition. And it's like, call in the backup. Um, and again, similar to the Zingray uh, issue, uh, Iron Man beats the final opponent by just punching him repeatedly into the ground until he breaks something. The shield pops off and he hits it with the pack. And it's like, there's a there's an interesting trend of brutality that is coming out in this run that is, in my experience, a little atypical of Iron Man. Iron Man's a, a, a strong character. He's a tank, if you use classic kind of superhero tropes. Um, he is a powerful character, but when he gets frustrated in this run, he resorts to just brute strength. And it's an interesting tell where Tony's brain just shuts off to a degree. And he's like, I'm just going to punch it because Tony tries to think his way out of problems. And, and near the end of these, he's just, he's clearly mad. And I would argue maybe even mad at himself. Uh, and so he just resorts to, to punching things until they stop. That's a, a trope. That's a sta- almost like a standard superhero trope. Cause if you remember, the Spider-Man versus Fire Lord fight mm-hmm. where, which for anyone that doesn't know, Fire Lord is a Herald of Galactus who is scales more powerful than Spider-Man and yes. Spider-Man spends most of the run avoiding and trying to fight him until he just loses it. And then you see Spider-Man with all of his spider speed and strength, just wailing on Fire Lord until Fire Lord succumbs like the power. Mm-hmm. So it's a an interesting dichotomy that one specifically because spider-man is a superhero that thinks through his actions tries not to use lethal force as much as possible to see that break and crack sort of happen and even i was reading this with iron man fighting here i kept getting flashbacks to that fight but for Mm -hmm. spider-man it was different because he's fighting a vastly more powerful opponent compared to tony who does this against weaker opponents right and that's what i find interesting about this is because it's not desperation. It's almost fury. It's never quite over that line. It's never spelled out in there, but, but you start to see kind of the subtext of it. It's he's mad at something and he's doing this when he frankly probably doesn't always need to. Um, in the stingray case, it was he's faster. So I'll just 
punch my way through rocks to, to get to him and then effectively knock him unconscious. Uh, but, you know, the, the, he made an attempt to talk, but it was pretty clearly hand-waved. It's like, cool, I'm, I guess right now. Um, and somewhere in this case, it's like, he's like, I, I don't know. You found all these other ways to counteract these things. You made these suits, but you're still reduced to punching the suit until something breaks. You know enough about the suit to realize this is a viable tactic. But it still feels like a justification rather than actually what is the best call here. Uh, but anyway, um, again, interesting kind of tactical moment is the mandroid he knocked through the trees at the very beginning of the fight uh, is back on his feet and has gotten all of the unarmored soldiers to come with him. Uh, so uh, Iron Man's like, I can't let any mandroid armor stay intact. Uh, so he sends out a sonic signal to scramble the inner ear of the unprotected agents. It'll hurt, but won't cause any permanent damage. Uh, Where was I this at? When he fought this is, the controller. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely like my moments of like innocent people. I don't want to get them damaged. Uh, I was going to pause and say that uh, I, I, I know I am someone who has had a lot of problems with my inner ears. Uh, and pain is certainly part of it, but puking is way bigger risk. If someone scrambles your inner ears, you, you get really nasty vertigo. Uh, and you're, it, it's, it's not, if you're someone scrambling your inner ears, it's not a high pitched scream that is painful to hear. It is the, I'm going to fall over and vomit on myself. So <laughs> it was almost like, I saw what you're trying to do here, but to use slightly different words to end up in a very different circumstance. Cause as, as a kid, even as a kid, I was like, that's not how that works. But I had ear problems at a very young age. So like I was, very unaware of like what happens when your inner ear gets scrambled. This is one of the reasons I love doing this with you is like, that is something that I didn't even think about. Oh, really? And it, it now gives me an additional layer, layer level of context that I am now more aware of and makes me want to read into it, try to find out more about it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and it, again, I'm, it's been fun having you on here because you're bringing more to it than the fact that, went through an issue an hour as opposed to before I could run through five because you're giving me more to think about, which I love uh, and, and deepening my appreciation of this arc. You could admit I'm your quicksand. That's fine. <laughs> you are the sane man to my wizard. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, again, smart tactical things is uh, all the unarmored people are down. Uh, the pilot of the last thing, uh, he aborts. He just ejects. Right the fuck out of the suit. Uh, and Tony even says, like, you know, agent, shield agents are, are tough and courageous, but they're not stupid. Which is an interesting line. It is, to me, peak Tony Stark, because in his head, he is showing respect to his enemy. I respect shield. I respect him as agents. I'm glad they're not stupid. What it comes across as in is the, the parenthetical, they're not stupid, to face me. So that level of ego is still there. Even when he's trying to be respectful of someone in his own head, which is just perfect Tony Stark. Uh, and Nick 
um, Iron Man flies away and Nick is like, wait a minute, this guy knew too much about our plan. I wonder if something's going on. Uh, so Nick finally catches up to the plot. And uh, so they meet back up in Manhattan. Nick actually does confront uh, Tony. It's like, so your loyalties are a little less solid than you let on. It's like, what? how dare you? How dare you accuse me of, of being Iron Man? I never said that. I mean, no, but <laughs> it, certainly Tony's protesting a little too much here. And it's like, next you'll tell me that I'm the person who organized this whole thing. And it's like, did you? No. Um, but so they're having a debate about it. And finally, Tony's like, so why don't we check the scanner, see if we can pick him up again? And, uh, uh, and he's like, Pushing buttons, I was like, oh, that's weird. You should take a lingering signal and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and a uh, knob falls off the panel. And he starts to make a comment about how I should make uh, Stark uh, build your panels because they work better. And he's like, wait a minute. This is a, a this isn't a real knob. It's held in the glue and there are wires inside. It's a bug. And so Stark's like, if I want to hire someone with secu more security clearance, I'd get the Boy Scouts because this is a chicken shit operation. And he runs off, and it turns out that um, uh, Rhodey. And one reason why I like Rhodey is because he's written frequently as being smart when he has the information, and so it could have been, "Gee, boss, how did you know? Why did how did you find that bug?" Rhodey's like, "I saw you palm that. You it's slick of you to palm that and make it look like there was an extra knob on that console." Uh, so. Um, and your fake rage was a nice touch. And Tony's like, yeah, that wasn't fake. I'm mad. I'm mad that I had to do this. And then I have to live with this. Uh, but I mean, that I still think I was genuinely clever. It's like Tony implied that there was a bug there. And as much as I give Nick Fury shit, his job requires him to be paranoid. And so if you go to someone who is constantly having to think in those kinds of dimensions... Uh, saying your place was bugged, he will need to start doing an internal check and checking the loyalty of his men and seeing how that bug got put in there. Eventually, he'll probably figure out that that bug was never actually planted, but by then, it will probably be too late. So it was a smart way of using Nick's paranoia against him. Now, let's stop and think about this, though. That That's great. Tony's brilliant. I, I, I totally agree. But now Nick is going to spend the next, we'll say, month and be generous to do a full mm -hmm. sweep, do all those investigations and everything else. Shield is a government organization that is paid for by who? The uh, citizens, right? Right. So Tony has cost billions of dollars to the citizens, <laughs> thereby causing irreparable harm to those people where that money could have gone somewhere else. Tony is responsible for the recession. Is what I'm hearing. Well, you know, he, he didn't want to hurt. He didn't want to hurt innocent people. I'm just saying that even in this movie, he hurt innocent people. You're not wrong. I hadn't thought about that, but you're not wrong. I mean, he it, it, he's, and also, how many other crimes have gone undeterred because all the resources have been shifted towards this internal mole hunt that doesn't exist. Yep. If he just called in some help from his fellow Avengers, or maybe even. Well, I, I wouldn't call it Nick Fury for anything because you can't trust that guy. But <laughs> no, still. Uh, so, wait, last page, the epilogue uh, is the thing I'm sure we both want to talk about. We'll try to constrain it. 
Um, uh, Mr. Rogers appears for his appointments. Uh, and it turns out that Steve Rogers uh, sends a message, says, need help and shield. Can you apply? Or can you supply? And uh, so it's it's Steve Rogers. It, it, and, and Tony mentions that he was forced to give up being Captain America. Steve says he's not going to stop him from fighting for his country. And that's why he needs a new shield. And Tony thinks about the fact that his next target is a government installation. And so he's hoping that by helping Steve out, it will make Steve feel obligated and think twice about interfering which is a good, solid strategy, and it makes him feel slimy. And of course, he question, why, so why do I feel slimy? It's really obvious why you're feeling slimy. You're manipulating your friend to benefit this <laughs> personal plan you have. It's really clear why you feel slimy. It's not a debate. Um, uh, but um, it ends with the uh, next issue, Who Guards the Guardsman, uh, which is into issue 228. But for those who don't know the status quo, Chris, of what's going on in Captain America, maybe you can quickly recap what's going on with Steve Rogers right now. The long story short is the government wanted Steve to do something that he considered morally wrong. Steve quits. I think he more quits in being, instead of being fired for working for the government because he won't do mm -hmm. it. And then they hire John Walker to become the new Captain America. John Walker will become U.S. agent eventually because he is an unstable character who received super the superhuman treatment so he could lift roughly 10 tons. And he's a, a low-rent Captain America. Right. And Captain America takes up the identity this time of the captain instead of Nomad because this is not the first time that he stopped being Captain America. No, it is not. Um, and one thing I love about this plot is that uh, the U.S. government says that uh, perhaps validly that the identity of Captain America as well as the shield the property of the U.S. government. So if he's not going to be a U.S. government employee, they have to hand him over, which means that Captain America has been defeated by IP law. <laughs> which it no one can beat IP law. <laughs> right. I mean, you can't, you can't topple Disney, man. Um, but it's... Only enough, so, so, though, mm -hmm. they did a similar thing recently with uh, Spider-Man. Because... Really? Uh, the Ben Riley version of Spider-Man. Oh, my God. working for a company, and they basically sue Miles Morales. So Miles can't be Spider-Man. Oh, no. It's Google's way of stopping Miles from being Spider-Man. This might have been a couple years ago. I, I cut snippets of it. And... Like, you can't be Spider-Man because I legally own the IP to Spider-Man. Oh, my God. That's like amazing. Said, you can't beat IP. <laughs> um, digression, but but related to this, my favorite bit of, of, of Cable lore from the X-Men uh, is that Cable actually has lost to IP law twice. <laughs> uh, because the first time uh, his group before he joined the X-Men uh, was known as the Wild Pack and then Silver Sable's Wild Pack in comic sued him and he had to change the name to Six Pack he forms <laughs> he, oh it gets better he, he joins the New Mutants uh, turns them into X-Force spends years as X-Force he leaves uh, comes back later tries to reform X-Force but then the group now known as Ecstatics bought the lapsed copyright or trademark and then used it against him and forced him to stop calling his group X-Force. <laughs> so it's like, I have pouches and guns and I, I have the most powerful tell about the planet, but I don't know how to hire an IP lawyer. <laughs> Great. I think there's some, some justly bitter writers who understand the horror that is IP law and knows that no villain is worse. And I oh. salute them all. <laughs>
man. I did not expect IP Law to be a thread in this this season, but boy, howdy, it is certainly coming up a lot. Um, Can we talk uh, about yes. the awesomeness that is this outfit that Steve is wearing? Yes, yes. Um, we don't see much of it. We'll see a lot more of it next issue. But yeah, he has a uh, black, white, and red outfit. Um, he has the same kind of red Captain America boots um, and a similar uh, cowl, although again, we don't see it in this issue. Um, but uh, where the blue is, is now black. And across his chest, he has uh, a, a black star cut out and then red and white stripes across the chest. It's, it's a genuinely good look. I really do love this costume. And it sucks I'm, I'm that US Asian has it. More about the fact that he cruises up in here in costume simply with a trench coat over it and the ma- and the cow down like that 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 is subtlety. I love Captain America, but subtle is not his strong suit. I will point out to you that in the Marvel Universe, a trench coat is an impenetrable disguise, as that thing has proven many times over the decades. This isn't because like Highlander, a, where you can hide swords in them. They're not that great. It's no, 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 no. You could be a seven-star rock monster, but if you're wearing a trench coat, no one will look at you twice in New York. That is what is the rule. <laughs> oh, I can't believe you brought up a thing joke. <laughs> in DC, it's a pair of glasses. In the Marvel Universe, it's a trench coat. These are impenetrable disguises. <gasps> All right, but you're right. No, it is very much going. I'm Steve Rogers. I've been frozen for 20 years and I've been superhero for most of my adult life. And certainly in the past 20 years of, of, of waking existence, I don't know how humans work. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. It's like, how do civilians do? <laughs> I, I kind of, I, I just love that. Like um, um, one of my favorite runs of, of Captain America, it's like, I need a job. What's a good, stable job that will allow me to be superior? I know, comic book artist. That seems like a good job. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyway, so that is uh, issue 227. Um, if people wanted to talk to you about the captain, where would they find you online? They can find me at darker underscore hue or in the darker hue discord where I'm talking about comics, where I'm talking about the, all sorts of other projects I want to work on, and generally geekery. I'm, I'm focused more on general geekery these days, I think. And good, what about good you? Thing, good thing you focused on. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as Pungsteady, P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. You can find my website at Pungsteady.com. Um, and I didn't. I haven't mentioned this actually in the past couple episodes, but uh, if you are wanting to read these alongside, uh, there's a couple ways to get them. Um, obviously, uh, uh, Chris has some of the individual issues. Um, I have the Marvel uh, Epic Collection, uh, but also all of these issues are available on uh, Marvel Unlimited. Uh, so you can easily just and 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 this this event is actually packaged together on Marvel Unlimited. So you can just go to that event. I've linked it in the show notes and just read along each issue along with us. I think the best uh, way for them to read them is to build a time machine, go back in time, and buy them in their first run, and then come back yes. to this point and start listening. I, I, I that is a real agree. way. That, that, that is how I have been reading them, obviously. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I read them in 87, knowing that at some point in the future, I would be prepared for this moment. <laughs> uh, but with that, um, thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time. Peace. Peace.